For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Hello, Jenny. I'm excited about this one. I know we haven't done one of these in a long time. So for everyone who is listening, this episode is really a lighthearted take on some of the joys and hustles, but predominantly joys, things that are bringing us happiness and joy in our lives right now in the fall of 2020. It's just brand new. We're brand new to autumn. So it is just the first early days of fall in this wild and crazy year. And it's just been quite an intense roller coaster so far. The last six months in particular have been totally insane. And we haven't taken the time really to celebrate a lot of the joys and things that are bringing us moments of happiness. So we're going to make this episode all about those recommendations that we have if you're looking for some little special lighthearted things to bring more joy and happiness into your life. Yeah, I've been keeping this like mental list over the last few months of things that I like think are fabulous and amazing and I want to share them. So it's a long time coming. Where do you want to start? Why don't you start? What is the thing that is bringing you most joy, even if it's a small thing? Oh no, it's a big thing. Okay, It is a small thing, but it's a big thing in my life. So I bought this thing about like early in COVID and it's called... Arca, A-A-R-K-E, and it's a sparkling water maker, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the most common one is like SodaStream. Yeah. They're kind of ugly. They and are I ugly. Think- I got rid of mine because of how ugly it was. Yeah, yeah. So super tall. Found- you have to keep it on the counter. 
yes, you have to keep it on the counter, but if you use it every day, there's no other place for it. So, but it uses the soda stream like canister. So you can like replace those at your local grocery store or wherever. There's tons of places you can swap it out. So it uses that, but it's just like this beautifully, you know, Swedish design of this sparkling water. And I love it. I love it so much. And there's a bunch of different colors and it sits on my counter and I use it every single day. And I drink so much more water than I did before. And I love to drink club soda, but I hated the cans and buying them. And this is like magic that you can make like carbonated water from plain tap water. I love it. Mm, Yeah. And so do you make it just right when you're going to use it or do you make it ahead of time and store a bottle in the refrigerator? Both. So I always try to have it in the fridge cold, but then I could also just make it and drink it right away with ice. It's fine. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's like constantly going in. Even my son, he bought a little syrup for, what did he get? root beer. So you got a little syrup for root beer and he makes his own pop. Wow. Pop in quotations. Yeah. That is such like not a word that I would ever use for soda, but. Oh, soda. That's why they call it soda stream because it's probably American. I would never say soda. Uh Uh-huh. Soda is American. Or fountain drink. No, nobody (laughs) says that for real. (laughs) People say that. (laughs) People in other parts of my country say that, Sandy, all the time. Fountain drink. Yes. It's a thing. Okay. Okay. What's yours? Well, my biggest joy, it's hard to say, but if we're going to be deeply materialistic in this episode, I'm going to just go for it. So I bought myself a truck. I have wanted a pickup truck for 20 plus years. I've always wanted one and I'm like the Prius driving kind of person. And so I didn't feel like I could ever have one. Plus they're so expensive, but truly I live on more than eight acres of land on an island and a remote island. And it didn't make any freaking sense for me not to have a truck. So I have a truck and I decided just to go for it. And it makes me so happy. I was just like yesterday on the weekend laying in the back of the truck with book reading. Like I just went in there and I just love it so much. It's it's like freedom to me. You know, we all have things in our lives that symbolize other things. And for me, a pickup truck means freedom because I can tow stuff. I can like pile stuff in the back and it's like a black truck and it's like kind of lifted. And it's like so lifted. Did you get a lift package? It it came a little lifted. I'm going to get it even more lifted. I love it. (laughs) Don't laugh at me, Sandy. You know what? Like, I know none of this makes sense, but this is actually like essential to who I am as a human being. And I'm actually like living my truth with my black pickup truck. I'm not laughing at you at all. I think everybody needs a truck. And I don't understand people who don't have trucks because they are so incredibly practical. We've always had a truck and we use it all the time. And I think, how do people survive without? And if you're like hauling garbage to the dump in your Prius or your leaf or something, that's ridiculous. (laughs) I refuse to have a leaf for lots of reasons. Yeah. And we got rid of our Prius a couple of years ago. And like, I was... I mean, we have like a Subaru, so it was fine, but I just feel like, you know, we have this land and people dump stuff when you have land, like people, I don't know, in this country, Sandy, people dump stuff on your land. Right. And so there was all this like garbage that people dump around and like piling it in your car to take it to the dump is horrifying. And so there's all this furniture that people were like dumped on our property. And I was like, we have to ask somebody as a favor to borrow a truck if we ever need to do anything. And I also just don't like having to rely on other people so much. And so anyway, I'm just so happy because I've actually wanted this exact truck for at least like 17 years. And I finally was like, I'm just going to get the truck. I don't care anymore. 
Did you buy a gun rack? Okay. So this is the funniest thing or like the saddest thing, right? Because you asked me this question. You texted me this when I was like buying the truck because I was like sent you a picture of my daughter like standing in front of the truck, like so proud, like so happy. And you're like, oh yeah, did you get the gun rack? And I'm like, what? Because actually in my country, when you're buying a truck, you get the option to have a gun safe in the center console for your handgun, which is like so the opposite of Canada. And Mm -hmm. so this is like this now, this joke that we have, because like in my country, you don't get a gun rack, you get like the handgun safe as your center console. And no, I did not. So maybe I shouldn't reveal that for my own security, but I did not get the handgun safe. Yeah. I don't understand anything that you just said there. Yeah. I think that, you know, you joke about gun racks or we joke about gun racks, Yeah, but I've actually never seen a gun rack. And I don't think actually, I don't think people have them. Like it's just the thing that we think Americans have. Or oh, I actually think Texas. Americans do have gun racks, but yeah, I think yeah. the like preferred method of carrying your handgun though is like concealed in your center console <laughs> because your handgun's not going to fit on your gun rack. That's like for the long gun. <laughs> The shotguns. The rifles. The rifles, yeah. The AK-47s. Oh, my Lord. I can't even bear it. Well, nevertheless, my truck is not about guns. My truck is about being a truck, and I love it, and I'm so excited to, like, tow all kinds of stuff and go on all kinds of adventures, and I've already, like, mapped out all kinds of adventures for when the world opens up again. I'm going to drive my little truck around. that's a big deal. Congratulations, I could, could, like, pull a horse trailer if I wanted. Yeah. Like I could pull a a boat. I could pull anything I wanted. I could pull an Airstream, anything I wanted. There's freedom in that, Sandy. There's freedom. Oh, I get it. I get it. Okay. Next one. My thing's really small compared to the truck. The truck is a really big deal. Okay. So I truthfully never really understood YouTube until recently. And we were talking about this on one of the coaching calls in Inner Circle. And I revealed all about my lack of YouTube watching. I was kind of embarrassed. But I discovered this channel called Plantarina, like ballerina, but with planter, Plantarina. And this lady is amazing. And she talks so eloquently and clearly about plants. I know all the Latin names because of her. And she like owns a company called Plantarina where they ship plants to the US only. And she works out of her garage in New York. And she has this plant studio in her garage. And it's amazing. And she's like, fumbling and sort of fumbling through her videos and it cracks me up and she's so quirky and weird that I am addicted to watching her. And so because of her, I have also discovered that Facebook marketplace, which I have never, ever been on there, is a great resource for all sorts of rare plants. I have bought five different rare plants off Facebook marketplace in Calgary and driven to all sorts of strangers' homes, all masked up to buy, you know, super rare, like pink princess philodendron kind of plants. I'm obsessed. This is a strange subculture that you're operating in, Sandy. Totally. But people make money by like- But like $2, right? Like you go to buy a plant and it's like a dollar. Yeah. Not that cheap, but like some of these like pink princess, if you look like they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. And I spent- I think I got it for 20 bucks and she threw in a blue pothos at the same time, but they're a little tiny. Like they're like one leaf, like cuttings, like just propagated. They're not like massive plants mm-hmm. or anything, but still like you can't buy a blue pothos 
in Calgary anywhere or a pink princess. Like you have to order them. We can't order anything from the United States, of course. You guys order plants from like Indonesia and Bali and all these places that can ship in. Our, our country won't allow anything to cross the border that way. So we have to rely on people who I think probably there's some probably illegal activity going on getting plants from the U.S. But anyway, it is a really weird culture and I'm kind of fascinated by these people who have this little side business of propagating rare plants and selling them on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> I sense there's a documentary in waiting here. There's something to be explored about how yeah. these Canadians get their rare plants. And you go I, to like seedy neighborhoods and stuff sometimes, oh, yeah. right? To do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And the only thing is like on Facebook and like you can only communicate with them on Facebook. And I asked, like I bought this pink caladium and it's just this beautiful, beautiful, huge pink caladium and it had like a nursery pot with a price tag on it and so I just assumed that they're all propagating in the basements of their homes with grow lights or something and it had like a price tag and I said where did you get this like how do you and she was like oh from I just have a trucker friend that comes from the states (laughs) okay so this is all totally legal excellent (laughs) excellent Oh, well, you know, if you're going to like traffic in something, I guess yeah, like, like rare plants, rare plants. tropical house plants is maybe like not the worst thing you can do with your, and with your, I just, yeah, with your time, it's not, yeah, yeah. I mean, the worst thing is like different spider mites come into the country or something. The other thing I just on the same vein is the company Wally mm-hmm. that makes these amazing planters that you can hang on the wall. So, typically put like philodendrons or vining ones so that covers up the actual planter itself. And it just, it looks like you've got like a living wall. It's so beautiful. So I bought, they're really hard to find. There is a location in Calgary that sells them, but they're always sold out. So I just ordered from the actual company in the United States. I had to pay some duty on it to get across the border, but they're just amazing. And they have like the way to water it in the back and they are gorgeous. So just follow them on Instagram. And oh my God, it just like plant styling is just, it's so incredible what you can do with these things. So that's my other obsession. So I really want to order from that company as well after you showed it to me, because I wondered how so many restaurants and office spaces in the city have these living walls. And when I looked at Wally's Instagram feed, I really realized that like, oh, there's like a hole. Yeah, methodology to this and you can just get the right tools. But I think for it to really look like a living wall, those plants have to grow. I mean, it's going to look a little shabby for a while and then they've got to fill in. Yeah. So for that reason, I bought a really like full heart leaf philodendron and it just, it totally, it was big enough that I put it in the planter thing and it looked great. Like it looked covered, right? But the problem is you have to decide what height to put them at because they're going to grow down. So you want to put them quite high, right? And so anyway, I haven't hung mine for that exact reason because I can't quite figure out where they should go and what the height is and how much, how quickly this plant's going to grow and ah, all that. Yeah. Well, I think that you're not alone in using the pandemic as an excuse to bring foliage into your home. Mm -hmm. I think there's like a whole thing that's happening. Yeah, it's true. Like I tried to go get potting soil and everywhere was sold out because everyone, it's like pets and plants. It's like what everyone is focusing on. So Yeah. yeah, it's been, I've always been interested in plants, but it has certainly been heightened since I discovered Plantarina. She's changed my world. Well, I'm glad you finally came around to YouTube because I am a huge YouTube aficionado and I also find it quite fascinating, like the interesting ways that we get typecast as YouTube watch viewers and subscribers to certain channels. Cause like 
I live solely in the world where YouTube is about like van life and like remote homesteading and plants. And like, there's just like certain things that I watch all my YouTube shows about. And then like, I discover that you have like an entire like plant YouTube world yeah. that you live in. And then if I go on my husband's computer and go into his YouTube, it's like audio equipment. And I'm like, what? It's like SNL sketches and audio equipment. And well, mine's I'm like, way more interesting than that. It's like, where are all the van life videos? Like, where yeah. are the people that live on yachts? Like, where are these videos? And it's so interesting if you really want to understand filter bubbles and the way we all get shown algorithm information, algorithms, mm -hmm. like just hop into someone else's YouTube and see what, You're like, see what what's going this? on in there, which yeah. reminds me that's one of our other yes. joy slash hustle. Nice yeah. Good segue to Tristan Harris's documentary. <laughs> you want to talk about that one, Sandy? Yeah, I saw this pop up on Netflix. I've seen a few comments from our clients in uh, Instagram about this. It is, if you have not watched on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, you must. And I think I want every child who is like over 10 to watch this as well. I think they've done, yeah, so Tristan, I didn't know his name was pronounced that we've always been calling it. We've talked about him for years, but it's, we always say Tristan Harris, it's Tristan Harris. He's like this genius like thinker and I love him and I think he's like the main guy in this series that's talking about the impact of social media on our culture and on our lives and does anyone actually realize how we are being impacted and they interview a lot of like the guy that was in charge of monetizing Facebook the guy head of Pinterest and Twitter and like all these really influential most of them are men who are kind of standing back and going, whoa, what have we done? And they also have this like, so they do these interviews, but then they also sort of partner that with this like fictional like actors who are showing what it's like as if each of us who have our phone and talking about those algorithms, they kind of display that as like people inside the phone trying to get your attention all mm -hmm. the time. Like, oh, he hasn't been on, like, let's ping him. Let's show him that shirt he was looking at. Like, it's such a great, great way, especially for younger like teens to really understand the manipulation that is happening that we are not aware of. Mm -hmm. well, we're aware of it, but I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. Yeah. My favorite takeaway from that movie that is like, you are the product, right? Like yes. Yes. you are the product. Before, yes. And so there's this whole conversation that you and I have been having for years about bootstrap software and why the startup tech space is so dysfunctional in part because these companies are trying to figure out how to monetize your time and your attention because you're not actually paying for the tools and the apps that you download onto your machine, which is why we've been a fan since day one of charging for our software so that we're not trying to monetize people's attention and sell like with advertising, right? And so like the fact that this is the model and the monetization model that's developed in tech is like, this is the problem is because tech companies have had to figure out ways of keeping your attention on their app so that they can serve you more ads because it's the only way they make money off of you because you're not actually forking over money to use their tool. Like I would much rather pay a tool like Facebook, $20 a month or $5 a month or whatever, so that I don't have to have my information sold or my attention sold to the highest bidder. But that's just how the ecosystem and the marketplace has developed. And I think like those are, there are some structural changes that we can make and individual changes we can make where we decide to use tools that we pay for so that we're not like selling something that we're 
lesser aware of that it's being sold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's the link to kind of our ongoing conversation about this, but it's just, I think so many people right now are just becoming yes. aware of it. They do such it. a good job of explaining that. I think that guy, what's that author's name? Jaron Lanier? Jaron Lanier. Jaron. Yeah. And he's like, he has this I love great, that guy. Man, I love him. He's such a quirky gentleman who's like God. been, was early, early on in AI. And he says like, imagine like when we know that when we go to Wikipedia, that we're all going to read the same information, Mm -hmm. right? Like you look up something and you're going to, everyone's going to see the same thing. He's like, imagine that you like look up something and everyone's information that is displayed is different depending on where they live and what their search history is. And he's like, oh wait, that's what Facebook is. You can't imagine it, right? Mm -hmm. Or that he will say like, if I looked up the environment and Jenny looked up environment, it would be totally different based on what our IP addresses are. Someone might say like, you know, global warming is like a hoax. And I would see like complete science data and and different articles supporting it, right? And that's like so fascinating that people don't understand that they're all being served different information depending on where they actually live in the world. Terrifying. Yeah. And their interests. And they also made another reference to like, we're also afraid of AI in the future. And these guys, these Facebook guys on there were like, you're living it. Like that algorithm is like so spun out of control that nobody knows what it's actually doing anymore. Like we are a victim of the, of AI right now. Mm-hmm. By that algorithm. And yet the answer from a personal standpoint is just to turn, like close the screen. Yeah. The off button. Right. But it doesn't insulate us even with our own individual choices. It doesn't insulate us from the real world you know, behaviors of other people who are buying into this, right? Who are being served information that maybe isn't true. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to be the bigger challenge, you know, that our, that the next generation has to deal with that we have to deal with. And then our kids have to deal with is like, okay, so how do you keep that from, you know, taking over global politics, for example, or the economy. So anyway, it's well worth a watch. I think just it's really just an introduction to a much bigger conversation because I don't think anyone has really figured out how to solve the problem. But it does raise a lot of important issues. And I think it for those of us that are parents, it just hammers home even more so to keep devices, you know, limited or out of the hands of our kids. So that's one piece, you know, one lesson learned. Another piece for those of us that create technology products and have them as a major part of our business model to make sure that we're doing so in a responsible way. And then, you know, beyond that, I think just starting to pay attention to the fact that our world is now filled with people who all have like not only different religions and like different cultural upbringings, but entirely different ways of seeing the world on almost every issue. I think that's going to be a huge problem, right? Because mm-hmm. yep. like without some basis of shared truth, like there's nowhere to start a conversation. So we're going to have to figure that out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I think that the technical parts of our brains, the ability that humans have to create new technologies is so, it's like so much quicker and far surpassing our ethical abilities, you know, our abilities to solve and address ethical problems. And so it wasn't even until after, I remember studying this in college and in graduate school, like it wasn't even until after the atomic, you know, weapons were developed that we really even had bioethicists, like the people who were trying to figure out like, okay, what kind of responsibilities do scientists have with what they create? Like that entire field of, of like study and like that profession didn't even exist until after we'd already created the weapons that necessitated 
that kind of thinking, right? Like that kind of thinking should have gone into that development. And it's the same thing with the internet tools, right? Like we're just like, we're making stuff as fast as we can. Like companies are popping up and it's like, go, 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 get funding, build what you can, be first to market and then figure out everything else later. And there's nothing like going on structurally that's causing us as humans to have to ethically consider the impact as we're creating stuff. And on that note, I'm going to tell you my new favorite app. <laughs> Sandy. It's called iNaturalist. Oh gosh. It's so good. Oh. So it's by National Geographic. And I think you have to pay. It happened so fast. I didn't realize it wasn't free and I have no idea what I paid for it. However, it's all over. I don't know if it's worldwide, North America, what, but what it does is like, you know, it knows where you are and it will show you all the wildlife sightings oh. around you. Oh. And so if you are somewhere and you see like in Calgary, we have a lot of bobcats, you see a bobcat and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what that is. You take a photo of it. And then there'll be people who actually identify it for you. And that goes for insects. It goes for plants. It goes for bugs and insects. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So you can see, cause there's like this argument that we don't have raccoons and apparently we do. And you can go on iNaturalist and you can, there's like photos of raccoons and it will show you the date of when they were pictured. And then I think that there's like scientists that are using this data cause there's like research data level photos. Anyway, I just, I heard about it on the radio on CBC and I was like, what? What do you mean there's raccoons in Calgary? It's so cool. So it's good to see what is being, you know, what is seen in your area, but also you can like upload your own photos if you want something to help with identifying a particular species, whether that's uh -huh. plant or animal. That is so interesting because I was going to tell you my favorite new app, which is really similar and it's called Picture This. And mm -hmm. it's very similar. It doesn't have the animal identification, but it's for plants. Yes. So yeah, so I can take a photo of, and I got this for mushroom foraging because it's like, it's still like, it's still a little sketchy to allow a tool like this to tell you whether or not to eat a mushroom that you find that you can't readily identify. However, it helps. Yeah. You can just snap a photo of any like wild berries you find or mushrooms or any plant. Like I have stuff growing in my garden. I was like, is this the thing I planted here? Or is this like some bird seed that got like blown in or whatever? Yeah. And it's just like remarkable. It tells you what the plant is and gives you all this information. Mm -hmm. So in that one, I think it's $30 renewable oh, it? per year. Yeah. I looked at that and I didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. So I probably paid more than that for iNaturalist because I did it so quickly. I didn't even notice there was payment, but it's so good. So I think on that one, you can identify, it identifies for you. I don't know if you get instant identification with the iNaturalist one because I haven't actually uploaded, but it does have like each species you can click through and you can read about it because there's been birds out at my dad's farm that were like, what is that? And, you know, it'd be great to like photograph that bird and then somewhere, somehow it identifies it and tells you all about it. And you can see the migration patterns and stuff. It's so cool. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. We have a different bird app. I'll have to remember that for a future podcast, but my family is obsessed with bird watching my husband and daughter, and they have this whole it's through a university somewhere and they have this whole thing where they can listen to the sound. They can like record the sounds and the videos and it tells you everything about the bird and it's so cool. Okay. All right. What is next for you? So those are some, you have one hustle. Oh, my hustle. Well, I think a lot of these could be hustles. So you can use anything well, in a business, but yes, my uplift desk. So I finally decided that my, cheap ass Ikea desk that I got when I was starting law school, like more than 
10 years ago. Yeah, I'm growing up now. So I had like a piece of butcher block counter from Ikea that I used as my desk for more than 10 years. And these like sawhorses as table legs, which is fine. Like it's a thing, but the sawhorses were like breaking and like (laughs) falling apart. And I really found that I'm sitting a lot these days and wanted to be able to, like, I had the standing desk that I could like put on top and then stand up, but it ended up just like never being the right height. So I didn't use it. So I decided to go and just find the best stand-up desk I could find. And I use wire cutter for this kind of stuff, like to recommend stuff. So wire cutter, if you don't know what that is, the New York Times puts out a publication called wire cutter where they review stuff like stand-up desks and air purifiers and like random, you know, just like things that everyone kind of uses. And so I just looked at what wire cutter recommended and bought that exact desk because they, you know, they have like a, you know, people test it and sit on it and try to break it and whatever else. So I now have one that's like, it's motorized and I can have different settings. Like I can have a stand setting and a sit setting. So I'm noticing like, I feel so much better because I'm moving around throughout Mm -hmm. the day and it's wonderful. And I, it was not cheap, but again, my last crappy Ikea desk lasted for more than 10 years. And so I think like, and did you you put those pieces in the truck and haul them to the dump? Oh my God. You know it, right? <laughs> well, the butcher bought countertop can be reused for all kinds of crafty, wonderful things in my life and on my property. But yes, those sawhorse legs are like they are done and they just go right in the back of the truck. All day. Yeah. I am super jealous. And also what's good about that is if you do a lot of video, you can like move the desk up so that your camera is like the right height for you, it is right? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just still like, I just finally got it. It took a while to get here in different, it came in six boxes. Like it was a thing to get it here. And I think like everyone is ordering these kinds of desks because, you know, yeah, more than 50% of people, I, I think working from home still. So yeah, but it's amazing. And I got an L-shaped one. So I have like all the computers on it and multiple desk lamps. And like, I have like little plugs in it, in the so desk. the whole L raise and lower. Oh yeah, the whole thing. Not, not, there's yeah. not two sections to it. Right, the whole thing raises. Yeah, no, and it's so strong. Like I think it can hold like 500 pounds. Like you could sit on it and go up and down, you know, a whole bunch of people and it'd be a party Fantastic. ride. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay, I have one last thing. All right, book. what's your thing? All right. So a couple of weeks ago, I finished this book and I met with Jenny on Zoom. I started crying and whining that I had no friends. Oh gosh. I <laughs> and I read, this. and it's because I read Big Friendship by Anna Matuso and Anne Friedman. Mm-hmm. And they have a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, which you hooked me on to years ago. It was a little bit too American for me initially. I didn't quite understand everything, but now that the world is what it is. I follow much more with American politics and culture, and I love these two. And so they wrote a book together and they talk about friendship, like deep, big friendships, as you would like your life partner, like your husband or your wife, right? And so they had some trouble and they went through this very challenging period as a friendship and they have a business together through the podcast. And they talked about the importance of friendship. And I think we would all like, yeah, 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 of course. But like in our 20s, everything is about our friends. And then between 30s and 50, it's like about family and children and you lose touch with those friends. And then after, it's like hard to reconnect. Anyway, it's just so good. And they just really hammered home the point about how important your friends are. And I just was had this moment of like, oh my God, all I ever do is talk to Jenny. And Jenny's my dearest friend in the whole world. But like, 
on my deathbed, where are my friends? I think, where are they going to be? And so I had this moment of panic. But I don't think that that's how everyone will react to this book, but I loved it. I love the book and the way it just makes you think it would be such a good gift for a really dear friend. I loved it. I just, and they're both really beautiful thinkers and writers. And I, it's just, I think it was really well done. And what's so interesting is that it's obviously these two friends and their business partners, and they wrote the book from third person, which just so surprised me because I would just thought they would sort of switch, you know, writing from first person, like switch narratives, like Jenny says something, then Sunny says something, but they did it from third person. And it was so interesting how they wrote it. It's fascinating. Mm. Well, I have this book queued up in my Audible library, but after you cried, messaged me crying, I didn't listen no, to no, it. No, 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 yeah, yeah, because I wasn't in a place to, to have any sadness. Like I, I've read a lot of heavy books this year, and it's not heavy. heavy things it's just going on in life, but yeah, no, it's really good. Just listen mm-hmm. to it, Jenny. I think I will. No, it's there. It's all queued up. I will. I am reading a book right now. And I know we said that was the last one, but I'll just say my book. I'm reading a memoir called Deep Creek by Pam Houston, who's also like a really lovely gifted writer. And it's just about her like living and buying as a single woman, buying like a 120 acre ranch in the mountains of Colorado. And it's like, she's totally my kind of person. I love everything about her story, the way she shares her story and her fierce, fierce independence and how... Mm -hmm. At some point, she bought this ranch and has made all the payments on her writing career. And even at some point, she inherited a small amount of money when her father passed away and she refused to use the money to pay off the ranch because mm. she wanted all of the payments to come from her, right. her own work. And I just, something about it is just really, it just, I loved it. I love the story so much. So if you like memoir and you also love nature, like, like I do, and I know you do, Sandy, then this is a great read. It's just gorgeous. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It I makes me feel like my little eight acres is nothing. And I feel, you know, I spend like my evenings looking for large tracts of land in the quarter sections. The, yeah. But, well, we don't have like nobody buys quarter sections in America anymore. There's nothing left. So I'm like, where's the most remote place that I'd actually be allowed to buy like hundreds of acres of land? So that's like my evening wasted time on the internet, but one day it'll happen. Okay. That's it. Those are all the joys and one hustle. One hustle. Yep. All right. We'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, Jenny. Bye everyone. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free become an online teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.